Well, good morning. We always have a whole lot of fun joking around about things. If, uh, you know, we all look at who, who's wearing what when we come in and decide that the guy was moving in a certain way today. And uh, last night I was putting out my stuff to wear and I was uh, trying to work out something with a particular shirt, just couldn't get it to go. And so I said, all right, I'm not going to make that one. I'm going to go with another one. I went with another one. We came in today, and uh, I think everybody on the stage here this, 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 uh, this morning had a black on. <laughs> and then I look over here to, the, to my left, and um, when I was sitting down on my left, my, my right now, and, and Sharon, she got a nice black dress on too, and uh, Nancy, and then, and then lo and behold, I'm sitting over there worshiping God, and off to my right, I see Praise come in with a black dress on, and... <laughs> And then mom, she came in with the black dress on, and I'm thinking, dear Lord, <laughs> black was the color today. And that was a shirt I just couldn't make work last night. <laughs> oh, that's fun. We have a lot of fun with that anyway. But we appreciate all you folks even here, even the ones that are not wearing black like me. <laughs> We're going to be over in James chapter 1 and a few other places. There was a... Uh, story I heard, and this is going to quickly be one of my top 10 stories of all time. This was uh, found in a home, and it is the diary of a dog. 8 a.m. Dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m. A car ride, my favorite thing. 9.40 a.m. A walk in the park, my favorite thing. 10.30 a.m., got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12, noon, lunch, my favorite thing. 1 p.m., played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 p.m., wagged my tail, my favorite thing. 5 p.m., milk bones, my favorite thing. Eight, uh, 7 p.m., got to play ball, my favorite thing. 8 p.m., Wow, TV with the people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on the bed, <laughs> my favorite thing. <laughs> In the same home was found a diary of a cat, and here it is. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me and with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat, while the other inmates and I are fed harsh and some of some sort of dry nuggets. Although I make my contempt for the rations perfectly clear, I nevertheless must eat something in order to keep up my strength. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. In an attempt to disgust them, I once again vomit on the carpet. Today, I decapitated a mouse and dropped its headless body at their feet. I had hoped it would strike fear in their hearts since it clearly demonstrates what I am capable of. However, they merely made condescending comments about what a good little hunter I am. There was some sort of assembly of their accomplices tonight. I was placed in solitary confinement for the duration of the event. However, I could hear the noises and smell the food. I overheard that my confinement was due to the power of allergies. I must learn what this means and how to use it to my advantage. Today, I was almost successful in my attempt to assassinate one of my tormentors by weaving around his feet as he was walking. I must try this again tomorrow, but at the top of the stairs. 
I am convinced that the other prisoners here are flunkies and snitches. The dog receives special privileges. He is regularly released and seems to be more than willing to return. He is obviously not very smart. The bird has got to be an informant. I observe him communicating with the guards regularly. I am certain that he reports my every move. My captors have arranged protective custody for him in an elevated cell. So he is safe for now. <laughs> oh, isn't it amazing how uh, attitude of our environment changes everything? We've been talking about prayer, and our attitude in prayer changes everything. We've been talking about some of the attitudes we should have in prayer and some of the things that should go on. In prayer, we need to be always thankful, always in a praiseworthy way. And if we come into prayer that way, it just changes our attitude going in and our attitude coming out. We talked about how to become effective. The three things that you need to have in order to become effective in prayer was know who you are in Jesus Christ, know what is yours because of Jesus and every good thing that God has placed in you by Jesus. You need to know those things because too many times we are going into prayer, we are praying for things we've already been given. We are praying for things to be done that have already been done or things that are not supposed to be done, we are supposed to do. And it's because we're not aware. And that's why our prayers become ineffective. We talked about joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy comes from the inside out and happiness comes from the outside in. God's joy is poured out into our spirit and we become like a reservoir. But like faith, when joy is on the inside of me, I must act on it. Faith that's not acted on doesn't do you any good. Joy that's not acted on does not do you any good either. Too many times we're waiting for joy to fill up before we do anything based on joy, and that's not how it works. Most of the time joy is mentioned in the New Testament. We see it is during times of trial. That's when joy is mentioned. That's not exactly happiness times, but it is the times when joy is mentioned. We said for the four parts of joy, there is the source, which is God. There is the path, which is the Holy Spirit, the connection. There is the reservoir, which is our spirit, and then the function. When we are to pray about joy, we can't pray that God has more because <laughs> he's God. He doesn't run out of anything. We can't pray about the Holy Spirit, the path, that either the you know, Holy Spirit, he is the good path, and we got to make sure that we maintain that connection. We don't fix that in prayer. We fix it by maintaining the thing. Look at our reservoir. You can't make your reservoir hold any more joy. It's made to hold it. So what we need to do is that we, when we pray, we need to pray that we function out of the joy that's on the inside of us. We went on last week. We talked about peace. There's three types of peace. There's peace with others. There's peace with God. And there's peace in ourselves. Peace is lost, not, uh, not like strength where it is gradually worn away. It can leave suddenly. And we gave you three things that generally come and attack our joy. Anybody remember what they are? Gave you a little acronym for it. CNN. Anything that has to do with CNN is, is bad. <laughs> bad circumstances, bad news, and bad notions. There we go. Bad circumstances, things that are going on outside. Bad news, things that come to you, reports that come to you, or bad notions, bad thoughts, thoughts that come in because that's how the enemy comes in. He tries to... So a thought on the inside. 
bad circumstances, bad news, bad notions. When these things come, it seems like you're walking along just fine and joy, and bam, the bottom just falls out and the joy is gone. Peace is gone. It just goes, just drops right out of the way. Peace with God can depart when we fall into a lifestyle of disobedience. And peace with others can go when an offense is carried out, when an offense is perceived, or when a contrary stand is made. When we make a stand and people feel contrary to it, then peace with others can go away. Looked at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, as we ended last time. Finally, brethren, farewell. He gave them four things. First off, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, and live in peace. And he said, the, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of love and peace will be with you. So peace in others, peace comes back into you. And that's what you need to do. You don't pray for peace, we sow it. We can't say, oh God, let me have peace here. No, get out there and sow peace in other people and then peace comes on back to you. A lot of times people are just out of peace because they keep going around sowing trouble. You don't need to do that. So that brings us to where we're at today. I put a little blurb up there on Facebook. If anybody paid any attention to it, I don't know. But I did put one up there, kind of give you a little things to think about before we got in here. If you uh, didn't see it, don't look now. <laughs> Most people pray for things to come or for things to go away. And that's about what most of our prayer time is about. I'm praying for things to come like money, good things, things that we need. Or I'm praying for things to go away, bad stuff, bad people, bad folks at the job. We want them to go away. So most of our time, if we look at it, we're spending a whole lot of time praying for things to come to us or for things to go away from us. But the number one need we have in navigating this life here is wisdom. The number one thing that our prayer time should be taken up with when we pray is a prayer for wisdom. That's something we're told from the Word of God to pray for. It doesn't have to take very long. But we want to look today about praying for wisdom. Because what a lot of people are praying for is for things to come, for things to go away, instead of praying for wisdom. James chapter 1. We looked at this uh, last week too. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let not him ask in faith, or, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. He is unstable in all his ways. We'll go on back here to... Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, how many times have we run into a situation and we don't know what to do? We uh, basically lack wisdom. I'm not sure what to, to do. I put this in your outline. The reason problems are problems is the uncertainty of what to do. That's the whole thing. If you knew what to do, it wouldn't be a problem. You would just do it. 
But because we are uncertain as to what to do, we have a problem. When you were in math class in high school, what did they put on the board? Problems. Why was it a problem? Because you were learning how to solve the problem. And so they put the problem up on the board for the purpose of teaching you how to solve it. But what was a problem on the board in third grade would not be put on the board in seventh grade. In third grade, you may be messing with, I don't know what they mess with in third grade, maybe a multiplication or whatever it is they, they put on there. But let's just pull something out of the hat. If three times three was a problem when you were younger and you had to go through, how many of you remember when three times three was a problem? But it's not a problem anymore. Now we got it down. Now I know what's, what three times three is, so it's not a problem. So if I see something that comes up that's uh, involving three times three, do I have a problem? No, because no, I have the answer. If I have an answer to a problem, then I really don't have a problem. What I have is an answer. The reason that we have problems is because we have situations with no answer. If we had the answer, we wouldn't have the problem. And if you know the problem, if you know the answer to the problem, you don't care that the problem stays or goes away. If you were in an algebra class and you aced algebra, and as soon as they put a new set of problems up on the board, oh, you just fixed it right up. You just finished it. No problem with that at all. What did you do when the test time came? You're excited. You're glad. Oh, it's test day. I'm going to show those flunkies how to do this. This is your chance to excel in the class because this is something that you can do. This is a problem, but you know the answer to it. And so you can't wait for the teacher to test you because you know the answer. And so when you know the answer, what do you do when the test comes? You do what James says. You count it all. Oh, man, you are glad. <laughs> oh, it is test day today. But if you don't know the answer, and you've been struggling with it, and then you forgot that it was test day, and you find out in school it's test day, what happens? Houston, we have a problem. This is, this is bad. I don't have the answers to begin with. I didn't study for this. I'm not prepared. Oh, I am going to be exposed. And we're scared. We're unnerved because there's a problem coming up, and I don't have the answer for it. Number one thing we should be praying for is wisdom. Because when you have a problem, you have a situation that you don't know the answer to. So the Word of God says that when you have that, what should you do? Ask God. Is there a problem that God does not know the answer to? No. Nope. He's got them all down. So if He gives us the answer, then we're good. If we can, you know, if we were going into that test and we could figure out something with our cell phones, you know, that people could text me the right answer and I could just kind of look in there and, and write that down, I'd feel a lot more confident, confident because I don't necessarily need to know how to do it if somebody else will help me. Well, the devil doesn't want us getting that little uh, information. So he wants to keep us out of praying for wisdom. He wants to, us to focus on the problem. He wants us to pray, oh, Father God, let this problem go away from me. Or let those people go away from me or let those situations go away from me. 
or this job or this neighbor or, oh, who knows what it is. You know what your situations are. We want them to go away. We want problems to leave. We don't necessarily want to solve them. We like them when they go. Well, three factors that make a problem big to us are these. I was thinking on this, meditating on this, and I came up with three. You may think on it, meditate it, and come up with something more, but I came up with three. Here they are. First off, uncertainty of action. I already gave you that. There is an uncertainty of action. I am not sure what to do. Number two, fear of acting. Once I know what I should do, I am in fear of it. Give you the same example in school. If you think you know the answer to the problem, and then the teacher calls on you, what happens? I can have a fear that, well, I think that's the answer, but maybe it's not. And then I'll be exposed. People will laugh at me. And, and there's a fear of acting. I, I think it's the answer that I, I need to do. But there's this fear that comes up because I'm just a, a little maybe unsure, not quite sure that I'm the person to do this with. Uncertainty of action and fear of acting. Number three, the inadequacy to act. I feel like I've gotten over the fear thing. All right, I can go ahead and do this, but I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like I'm strong enough. I don't feel that I'm powerful enough. I don't know that God is on my side on this thing, and I feel inadequate. Those three things can make the problem big. And if you go into the Word of God, you're going to find sometimes when the Israelites did not know how to act. They didn't know exactly what God wanted them to do. There was a fear that came on them sometimes. When they went into the promised land, they became afraid. They saw themselves as inadequate to act. And so therefore, what was looked on as something good going into the promised land is now looked on as a problem. And what do they want to do about the problem? Let's get another leader to take us back. Let's get out of here. Let's get away. Because most people like to Ask God to bring things to them or to take the things away. That's how we most of the time do it. This is why some count it all joy when they fall into various trials because they grow a certainty, overcome the fear and the inadequacy. And if you can overcome those three things in a classroom situation or in a life situation, you count it all joy. You say, oh, you want to test me? Come on, let's go. Let's go a few rounds. Too many Christians pray for trials or tests and problems, I put in parentheses, to be removed instead of them to be resolved. God wants to resolve them. He doesn't want to remove them. And he wants you to act as his, on his behalf to take care of these problems. In Psalm 119, 104, this is not in your outline. You can write it in there if you want to. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Proverbs 4, 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. We got to see that wisdom and understanding are high should be high on the list. These are the things we need to go after. Well, if we pray for 
wisdom to come, we need to be able to recognize it when it gets here. There's nothing worse than asking for something to come and then not recognizing it when it gets here. You need to be able to recognize it. This is, this is the thing. This is what you, you ask for to come. You need to be able to recognize it. The cure, I think I re- miswrote that. The, the cure for uncertainty, we just, uh, uh, I don't know how I wrote that. To cure the uncertainty, we just need to know what to do. Put it that way. To cure the uncertainty, we just need to know what to do. If you know how to solve a problem, you have wisdom. If you know how to solve a problem, you have wisdom. It doesn't matter how complicated, how involved the problem is. If you have a problem, it's a problem and you need to get it solved. How many have ever been hampered by a small problem? Big problem, small problem, it's going to hold you back. But if you have the understanding of what's going on, you can get in there and, 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 and step there and solve it. Sometimes the answer, the wisdom for a a problem is very simple. Sometimes it seems like it's unrelated, but it opens up the door. It's wisdom. There was a situation that we had when I was down at Ken's Pizza. I had, I had just left. I had spent about two years there and I uh, was on my way home and I turned in my notice, filling in my last day. But I came in one day, just before I was leaving, just to say goodbye to everybody one more time. And I came on in and I wasn't in my Ken's Pizza uniform. I was in my normal everyday dregs and boots and stuff like that. So I was dressed up. I wasn't really ready to, to work in there. And as I was in there, they had a problem with the soda machine. And no one could figure out. They had the manager on it. They had the, the supervisor. Everybody was over there working on the soda machine. Nobody could get the soda machine fixed, so they stopped selling soda. And so I said, well, what's, what's the symptoms? And so they told me what the symptoms are. And so I went over and I looked at the soda machine. And I says, you don't have any ice in it. I said, well, no, we, uh, we ran out of ice. And I said, well, if you don't have ice in the soda machine, the soda machine doesn't work. It sounds stupid. I didn't believe it the first time I heard it. But we had a soda machine repairman who came in. And when uh, we were working on things, I think at the time the ice was low. And he told me, make sure the ice is full. If the ice is full, it helps the soda machine work. Because without the ice, without the coolness from the ice, the, the soda doesn't come out right. And so I told that to them. So they went on back. They put some ice in it, filled it all up with ice, waited a little while for everything to get cooled off, and then ran the soda machine, and it worked fine. It was a problem. I mean, it was a small problem, but they couldn't sell soda. They made a lot of money off of soda. Cost them like a nickel. They got like a buck and a half for it. Make some money off of that. Well, it's, you know, it wasn't that I was so, so super smart or anything like that. I just happened to know the answer to that problem. So the answer to that problem was to them, wisdom. The answer to our problems are wisdom because it solves the problem. But a person who attacks a problem with uncertainty and does it wrongly can look very foolish. If you go after a problem, throw everything at it, and expect it to work, and it doesn't, you can look kind of foolish at the thing. You ever seen anybody go up on the board? Maybe you were one of ones, went up on the blackboard, and you thought you knew how to do the problem, and you worked it all out, and it didn't work. What did you hear from behind you? Yeah, snickering people laughing at you. Yeah, you thought you could do it. For those who pray for wisdom, many do not recognize it when it comes. And this is the problem. 
we pray for something, and when it comes, we don't recognize it. And we don't act on it, and so we're still uncertain. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He catches the, the wise in their own craftiness. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. What do you think the wisdom of God is to the world? It's just as foolish. We're on different wavelengths. We're on different uh, modes of operation. Have you ever had conversations with people and you're on different wavelengths? My wife and I have that problem all the time. I keep hoping that, you know, she'll get fixed sooner or later and get on my wavelength. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> We'll have these situations, and we'll be talking about something, and then all of a sudden she says a thing, and it makes perfect sense to her. But I am left wondering, what in the world does that have to do with anything we're talking about? And while she left that, she's on something else now, but I didn't follow that we left that. I'm still on this thing over here, and then we're over here. But I'm trying to understand this statement in the guise of what we were just speaking about. Now, to my wife, that's foolishness. Because we were done talking about that. I just didn't know we were done talking about that. <laughs> and when she went on to something else, we were not on the same wavelength. And we weren't discussing the same thing. And so she said something, and I'm understanding it over here. And she's like, man, what kind of a fool are you? I didn't mean that. Well, but you're over here. So we just have fun with it anymore. We just got to, you know, we just uh, toss it around. Um. You know, I, 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 you changed. You changed on me. You didn't let me know. You got to change. You got to, you know, wave the flag. I'm changing topics. I'm going into a new area because <laughs> we we can get left behind. <laughs> We're not on the same wavelength. Sometimes God speaks to us an answer, but we are not on the same wavelength as He is, and it just, it seems like what. What kind of a weird thought was that to have? Oh, I must have been the pizza last night. Shouldn't have had those anchovies. I don't put anchovies on my pizza. <laughs> Acts chapter 6, verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. This is speaking about Stephen. And they were trying to resist the wisdom which he spoke. They didn't like him. They didn't like the things he was saying. They were trying to resist it, but they couldn't resist it. That's, power, that's some powerful wisdom. When you want to resist it, but you can't. You see how the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men are on two different frequencies? Yes. James chapter 3, verse 13. For who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct, by his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. There is a wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And it won't help your situations. But it's called a wisdom. And notice it because there'll be bitter envy, self-seeking in the people's hearts. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If you have concert, uh, confusion, what do you basically have? Uncertainty as to what to do with the situation. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If you are praying for the wisdom of God, you had better get out of envy and self-seeking because it will put you on a different wavelength and you will not hear. You got to get rid of that stuff. 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That is the wisdom of God. And we can tell which is the wisdom of God and which is the, the wisdom that does not come from God. We've got to make sure we stay on the God side because God's going to solve problems. The devil doesn't want to solve your problems. He wants you to do stuff that's going to make the problem worse because he likes us in problems. His purpose of problems is to tear us down. That's his goal. He wants to send stuff to us to bring us down. When the disciples were going in the rowboat or whatever boat they had across the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, the storm came up for the purpose of helping them get there faster. Give them a faith lesson. No, the purpose of it was kill them. Take the boat down. Take it down to the bottom. That was the purpose of it. The devil, when he comes in for, your t- for tests, he is trying to bring you down. But God says, I'm going to bring you up. I want to take, you, take care of this thing. And so when Jesus gets out there, he does the most logical thing that you could do, right? He gets out there and he speaks to the wind. The disciples are probably sitting there, why didn't we think of that? We're wasting our time bailing water and stuff. We should have just spoken to the wind. Who's going to think of that? <laughs> That's not in the same kind of wisdom. We, we, we would face that problem just like the disciples do. Bailing water, we got 12 guys. So how many buckets we got? Bail, 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 trying to get out there. Trying to help it out. We got to be able to recognize the wisdom. Because when we ask for wisdom, what happens on the side of God? Now, sometimes, now we may be thinking an answer we don't want to say. Sometimes we might be thinking nothing. Ever thought that? I've asked God for wisdom and I got nothing. I'll ask God again for wisdom, but he may do nothing. It's a better place to be, but sometimes we think that. But the Word of God says that if you ask for wisdom, he might give it. Usually he gives it. You got a four out of five chance. (laughs) No. He says he gives to all men liberally. He gives you more than you need. He will overflow you with wisdom. So the problem is not on the God sending part. When we pray for wisdom, we're not praying, oh God, you need to have some wisdom or you need to be willing to send it. No, if we ask, God is sending it. We got to ask, but once we ask, that puts the sending in process. And then we just need to be in the place to receive it. I need to receive the wisdom. I need to recognize it. And I need to receive it. In Daniel chapter 2, tells a story of a king who had a dream. And no one really knew this was going to become a problem, but it did. Because he called all the, wis- all the wise men and the magistrates and all the magicians and different guys and had this dream. And in order, f- this is a bad, this is a troubling dream. And I need to know what the interpretation is. I can't have anything false So in order to qualify yourselves that you are able to give me the answer, you need to also tell me the dream. And they said, oh, there's no problem to give you the answer. Just tell us what the dream is and we will give you the answer. And he says, no, it's not going to be that way. You must tell me the dream and then tell me the answer because that will qualify you. And they said, oh, no one's ever asked anything of this, of of any magician, Chaldean or anything else. And this is uh, unreasonable. And he said, nevertheless, this is what it is. And you're just trying to delay. So tell you what, we're just going to kill you all. We're going to start over. 
And so they started killing the wise men. And Daniel was in the batch that had just come over. And they were just in school. They were teaching them some of the ways of the Chaldeans. And um, they heard they were all being farmed out to be killed. So Daniel said, you know, what's going on here? Oh, they told him the story. And so he said, tell you what, tell the king, give me a day. And tomorrow I will have the dream and I will have the answer. And so the king really wanted this. So he put off killing all the rest of the, He may have already killed some, but he put off killing all the rest of them. And he gave Daniel that day. Because right now, Daniel has a problem. I'm going to be killed, along with all these other people. We didn't do it. We didn't bring up this thing, but we're going to be killed. So we have a problem. Uh, we need wisdom and what to do. So he goes to God and get God, we need the dream and we need the, the uh, answer. And so he gets the vision. I'm going to read verse 23 for you. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and now have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Do you know that God will make known, known to you the answers? There's one time Daniel was asking a question when he saw something in the word of God about when Israel was supposed to be brought back into the land. And when he saw it, he immediately said, out, God, why, uh, when is this happening? We see this, the time frame is up. What is the next step? And immediately the answer was sent, but it didn't get to him for three weeks. It was delayed because of a big battle in the spirit. And Michael had to come on in and help out. But Gabriel came in and he delivered the message and then had to go on back to the battle. But as soon as Daniel asked the question, the answer was sent. There was no delay. As soon as the question was asked, the answer was sent. That's wisdom, isn't it? Jesus with the Pharisees and the rulers. They tried to trick him up. They tried to get him caught in something. There were problems all over. And he navigated them how? Wisdom of God. He got constantly answered them in the wisdom of God. God would tell him how to answer it. I mean, how would you like the question? Is it lawful to pay taxes? Hmm. This woman was caught in adultery. The law says we should kill her. What do you say? Hmm. Second Samuel chapter 15. I want us to look at this. Then Absalom, verse 12. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, from Gilo, where he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong. For the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all the servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women and concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all the servants passed by for him. And all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the Gittites, six hundred men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. And the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return, remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. And Atai answered the king and said, 
as the Lord lives and as my Lord the King lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Atai, go and cross over. Then Atai said to David, said to Atai, go and cross over. Then Atai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over and all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God and they set down the Ark of God and Abiathar went up until the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to you. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Ahimaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. So I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered, was barefoot, and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. So David has a problem. His son has revolted. He's got a whole conspiracy going on. Ahithophel, David's most uh, trusted Useful, most wise counselor was in the conspiracy, probably behind it. And Absalom had come in, and if David would have stayed, he would have been killed. So he decides to flee, trying to regroup and find a way to combat this. So he's leaving the city, but he's got a problem. People are coming to kill him again. His own son is coming to kill him. Take the throne. That's a problem. It's a big problem. It's a problem that David created. But it's a problem. And so he asks God what to do with this thing, and God gives him wisdom. And then I want you to see some of the things that he does here. Verse 31, Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Now this is bad, because he knows that this guy gives great counsel. If you follow what this guy says, there's no stopping you, because this man speaks as the wisdom of God. He hears the wisdom of God and he speaks it. And you can solve any problem and create any situation or do whatever you need to do. If Ahithophel is on his side, he knows he's in trouble. So look what he prays. Doesn't pray for hours. He prays a short prayer. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. That's a pretty direct prayer, isn't it? No pleading. No flowery words, just take his wisdom, turn it into foolishness. Now, that's, what, that's the plan, but we need to have a way to, to, to get that done. Now, what happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn, dust on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. How would you like to say this to a friend of yours? you got a longtime friend. And uh, you got this revolt going on. Your son's revol- re- revolting. And here's your longtime friend. He's coming running up with you. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm right here with you. And David looks at him and says, you know what? If you come with me, you're going to slow me down. <laughs> Thanks, David. I realize I put my life in danger coming on out here to meet you. 
And I appreciate that warm, heartfelt reading. Why does David answer that way? Because he received the wisdom of God on how to bring about the prayer that he just prayed. If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. Verse 34, but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now be also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests there with you? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. Apparently their sons were runners. You give them the word and they'd run on up and deliver it. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. You can go on and read the rest of this story if you want to, because it's a good story. It tells a whole lot about uh, how to combat some problems. But the end result here is uh, they... Get, he calls the counselors together. He wants to hear it from Ahithophel. What shall we do now? We're now in the city. I'm on the throne. David's out there. What should we do? And Ahithophel gives him wise counsel. He says, if you go right now, just take a small band. I'll, I'll even take them. But just take a small band. We'll go on out there. David's not set in anywhere yet. And we'll, we'll kill David. Once we kill David, we don't have to kill anybody else. We just got to kill David. And this thing is all over. That was a wise plan. If he would have followed it, probably would have worked. But uh, Hushai comes up there and he says, he realizes that's a good plan. But we got to do something different on this. We got to give David time. If we can give David time, we can come back and we can do something. And so he says, no, that's not. Usually his plans are great. This, is, uh, this one, uh, a little suspect. That's not as great of a plan. I would do it this way. He says, you're now the king and you should go out into battle. You should muster all Israel up and get a big army and they all follow you in the battle. And then you're the king and you're out there leading them. And he appealed to his pride. And Absalom says, you know what? The, the advice of Hushai is better than that of Ahithophel. And he decided to go ahead and do that. And Ahithophel went from there, got his whole household in order, took care of his will, paid all of his bills, and killed himself because he realized the hand of God was working against him and that the hand of God was going in such a way that David would be coming back. And when David came back, David would kill him. So he decided not to give David that opportunity and he killed himself instead. But he had to recognize that this was the wisdom of God. He had to recognize that this is the boy to go. Because you got a guy like Hushai, he can give good counsel. Maybe he'll come along with me. Help me out. But no, he sends him back. There's a lot of things that went on in the Word of God that just didn't seem like wisdom. Man comes with leprosy, and they say, go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be clean. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem like wisdom. The waters of Damascus are cleaner, nicer. Surely they're better. If Washington the River would do it, the servant finally talks some sense into the guy and he says, uh, hey, if he has to do something hard, wouldn't you do it? He said to do something simple. We got to cross over the Jordan anyway. Just dip into it seven times. He did. What happened? He was healed. 
There were 10 lepers who showed up with Jesus. They wanted to be healed. They probably wanted him to wave his hand or say something. And he didn't. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. Does that sound like wisdom? Lazarus is in the tomb. And he says, roll, roll, roll away the stone. Does that sound like wisdom? No, what do they say? Oh, man, he's going to smell. He's going to stink. We don't want to do that. The woman had a bunch of debt. So the prophet says to her, go get all the empty vessels you can and bring them into the house. Shut the door. Does that sound like wisdom? What do empty vessels have to do with my debt? Israel's facing the battle, first battle they come to, Jericho, big walls. What's God say? All right, let's build a battering ram. And let's get a couple of catapults. What's he say to do? Walk around the city seven times. Or seven days and seven day, seven times. Does that sound like wisdom? But when they walked around on the seventh, seventh time on the seventh day, what happened to the walls? They fell down. When it works, it looks like wisdom. It's like putting ice in the soda machine. When it works, it looks like wisdom. Man, walking around the city, the walls come down. That's amazing. Let's do it again. I mean, how often does it happen that people stand in front of the Red Sea and it opens up for them? How often does it happen that people need water and God says, strike the rock? Strike the rock first. I know which story I'm talking about. <laughs> Moses struck the rock, water came out. Why would you go to water from a rock anyway? No one ever done that before. You got a dead boy, and the prophet comes up to him and takes his staff and lays it on him. Then he stretches out his body on him. You got Elijah, who comes before a mountain, and he prays fire down on an altar. You got Noah, who decides to build an ark in a land where it never had rained nor had it flooded. We can keep going on, can't we? There's a whole lot of things that God spoke to people to do and they didn't sound like wisdom. But because God said to do it and they did it, it worked. Sometimes it's just because you obey, you unleash the power of God. Sometimes it's because it undoes something that we didn't see. There was one time when Israel was told, in order to win this battle, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the field. I want you to dig a bunch of ditches. Ditches? Yeah, ditches. Just dig a bunch of holes. How is that going to help us? Just, just go out there and dig a bunch of holes. So they went out there to dug a bunch of holes. Overnight, water came from nowhere. They didn't see where it came from. Just water came and filled up all the ditches. And when the army came on down to fight with Israel, they saw the water, but it reflected in a funny way from the sun. And they saw blood. And they came running down upon Israel thinking all they had to do was come and get the spoil. And boy, were they surprised when there was no spoil. It worked. There was an actual logical reason why that worked. But you couldn't see it before. God will speak things for you to do. But here's the problem. They won't always make sense. So how do you tell if the wisdom that you're receiving is the wisdom of God or just something that doesn't make sense? Because there's a whole lot of Christians out there that do stuff that doesn't make sense and it don't work either. <laughs> right? And we don't want to be one of those people that does something that doesn't make sense and it doesn't work. 
Because if you're going to do something that doesn't make sense, it better work. It sure better work. I remember that show MacGyver. Oh, I'll tell you what, he did all sorts of stuff with you know, little tiny you know, rubber bands and paper clips and soda bottles and duct tape and baking soda and whatever else he could find. And they'd, uh, they'd make all sorts of stuff. You ever watch the A-Team? Boy, if you like the A-Team in any warehouse, anywhere, you are dead. <laughs> well, nobody died in the A-Team, but nobody ever got shot. But, uh, but boy, they could find out, they make tanks and armored personnel carriers and machine guns and all sorts of stuff. And just in the little warehouse, they'd be finding all kinds of stuff in there. It's just kind of cute to see what was going on. God has some wisdom for us. He has some things that he can speak to us. We may have a health condition, health situation, and God can speak to you as to what to do. We, we a lot of times want God to wave his hand. Well, just wave your hand to speak the word and, you know, it'll go away. But sometimes he's going to say, no, change your diet. Do some of this kind of exercise. Do some stuff over in here. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> and we, uh, we turn that away. But sometimes God is just coming in and speaking some things to you to help you out. Do this. Change it this way. And just listen. And you do the thing that he says. Brother Hagin used to tell us that sometimes he, God would come up in the spirit and say, don't drink tea for a while. I remember that one particularly. Don't drink tea for a while. Said, he never asked why. He said, all right. And he didn't drink tea for a while. And then a couple weeks later, God would say, all right, you can go back to drinking tea. <laughs> never asked why. He just did it. The wisdom of God does not always make sense to us. Sometimes we don't receive it because we don't understand it. And then we don't do the thing that God is saying to do. And we don't obey. We have problems. We don't know the solutions. And the thing doesn't get solved. David had a mess of problems. But God had a way to get him out of it. I put this in your outline here. How I got into the problem is not as important as getting out of the problem. How <laughs> I many of you know that's true? You ever been in a problem? When you are in a problem, how you got there is not nearly as important as how you're getting out. <laughs> I want to get out of this problem. I don't care how I got into the problem. I just want to get out of the problem because you're in a bad way. And you may not like the way that he's going to lead you out of it, but there's some wisdom there. Here's another one for you. Remember Daniel's three buddies? They had a problem. They couldn't worship the gold statue he put up. So they didn't bow. Wouldn't you like God to deliver you out of that problem? Because you, how you got into that problem was a good reason. And so uh, the king says, all right, we're going to fire up the furnace and we're going to throw you in it. And so uh, maybe they're thinking along the way, well, God will come down here and sweep down with his angel. Pull us right out. But God had an idea. He says, all right, I'm going to deliver you from this, but I'm gonna, you have to go into the furnace. That can't be God. Satan's trying to mess with us. He's trying to get us to kill. How are we going to get out of the problem by going into the furnace? But I'll tell you what, did God ever, did God do something? If he would have just moved them out of the way, if he just took the problem away from them, it wouldn't have had the same effect. But because they went through the furnace, in the furnace, not burning up. How does they're walking around? 
Call some questions. Daniel's over there in the lion's den, walking around. <laughs> How I got into the problem is not as important as getting out of the problem. <laughs> That's the big thing. That's the first thing you got to take, of, uh, take care of first. So I put this in your, your outline, a couple of steps here. First off, prepare to deal with the problem. Prepare to deal with the problem. Get yourself ready that I am going to act on to this problem. I am not going to let this problem act on me. I am going to act on the problem. You got to prepare yourself for that because a lot of times we want to run from the problem. We want to get away from the problem. You got to first off prepare yourself. I am going to deal with the problem. That's a mental attitude. That's an attitude that says, I am going to change this thing. We're going to do something here with it. Prepare to deal with the problem. Next, ask for wisdom. Don't ask for wisdom if you are not prepared to do something. Prepare. I'm going to set myself, I'm going to change this, I'm going to come after this problem. Once you have set your, your focus on, I am going to deal with this problem. All right, now God, I need some wisdom. I need to know what's going on with this. After you ask for wisdom, watch your speech. Too many people are asking God for wisdom and then they go out from there and then people know they have a problem and they say, what are you doing about your problem? I don't know. Has me bewildered. I've been praying and praying about this, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Fool. Just look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a fool. You can say you're stupid too, because that would work. But you need to quit that. Because if you're sitting there asking the, for wisdom, what did the, the scripture in James say? If any man asks for wisdom, he might get it. No, God will give it to him. But let him ask in nothing wavering. For he who asks, and if you're asking, you're doubting. If you, uh, it's like, you know, one being tossed and driven by the sea. If you're going to waver in your heart, he says, don't, don't let that man expect that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. That includes wisdom. So then what are you supposed to do? Act like you got it. I asked God for wisdom in that. What are you going to do? I don't know yet. But apparently I don't need to act on it just yet. But when I find out, when God tells me, I will act on it. But that answer is already on its way. I already got it. It's just as easy to answer that way than, well, I don't know. Because you, how many of you know, you have this conversation with people, you start talking to somebody, they say, what are you going to do about that? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's a, it's been keeping me up at nights, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And what do they say? Oh, I've had those two. Oh, they keep me up at night. Oh, I'll tell you what, I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I just didn't get anything. I didn't know what to do. You're just feeding on each other's negativity here. Don't do it. Watch your speech. Once you ask for wisdom, everything that comes out of your mouth should be based on the fact that my answer is on its way. I got the answer. I'm not, not wondering if it's going to come. As soon as I need to act, that answer is going to be here. Prepare to deal with the problem. Ask for wisdom. Watch your speech. Recognize it when it comes because it may not be what you're thinking. It may not be how it is that you are to go about it. It may not be just go up front, get hands laid on you, and that's it. <laughs> it may be something more. It may be something different. And the, the other one here, act on it. Recognize it when it comes and act on it. If God sends you wisdom, you need to act on it. God does not like it when people receive wisdom and don't act. And you got a number of cases in the Word of God where people did that. They received the wisdom, didn't act. 
You get wisdom from God, you need to act on it. I put this at the end here. Afterwards, after it's all done, you got the wisdom, you acted on the wisdom, the problem got solved after it's all done. Afterwards, clean up the mess. What we mean by that is, however you got into the problem, whatever part was your part, fix it. But don't be trying to do that before. How many have ever had a plumbing problem at home? When you have a plumbing issue at home, what's the first thing that you do? Stop the leak. Because if, if you have a plumbing problem, you have water that is coming out where it's not supposed to be, right? If the first thing you do is mop up the water, you're going to be at that for a long time. Because the water is still leaking. The first thing you got to do is stop the leak. You got to stop the water from coming out. Until you stop the water from coming out and fix that problem, you can clean up all you want to. You're going to still keep having a mess. Clean up afterwards. Get the problem done. And then go back and look at this and say, Father, I got myself into a mess here. Is it something I did? Is it something that was brought upon me? And let God speak with you about that and then clean up the mess. Then fix all that stuff. But when you are in the problem, don't you waste an ounce of energy on why you are in the problem. It does not matter if you're in the problem because the devil threw it at you as a test. It doesn't matter if you're in the problem because other people threw it at you. And it doesn't matter if you're in the problem because you were stupid. Because you got cases in the Word of God where all three situations, God pulled them out of the problem. God will help you pull you out of the problem even if you were part of the problem to begin with. <laughs> but get out of the problem and then fix the mess. But do that afterwards. Deal with the, prepare, to, prepare to deal with the problem. Ask for wisdom. Watch your speech. Recognize it when it comes and act on that wisdom. You do those things. Your prayer for wisdom will work wonderfully. You got a problem, you pray for wisdom, God tells you what to do, and you do it. But get, be prepared because some of the things that he's going to say to do will not make any sense at all. I think he does that on purpose. Let's see what they'll do with this one. I got an idea. How about they walk around the city? <laughs> that's great. Well, oh, that's a good one. Walking around the city. Yeah, let's see what they do with that. Oh, I got another idea. Let's have them hit a rock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got one. I got one. I've been thinking about this all night. What if we take three million people, lead them up to the edge of the Red Sea, and we block them off on this side and block them off on that side, and then send an army up the only escape route? Boy, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they do that or not, but every time that God did one of those kind of things, his purpose wasn't to mess with Israel. It was to mess with the enemies. He put Israel's enemies, the most powerful army, in a situation where he could wipe them out. And Israel would be done with dealing with them. There are situations that the enemy has designed to bring you down. But God says, work with me and we'll bring the enemy down. All you got to think is the roadrunner. Saturday morning cartoons, roadrunner. The coyote constantly came up with plans to bring the roadrunner to his demise. And every one of those plans affected the coyote. And the roadrunner went on 
I mean, he'd paint a hole in the cliff and the roadrunner could go through it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And God can do that sort of stuff. Just think of you as being the roadrunner and the devil as being the coyote. And just keep envisioning yourself that way. But the, the answer that God will give you will sometimes appear like running through a hole that was painted on the side of a cliff. Because in our wisdom, it doesn't seem like this ought to work. But when you pray, you need to receive that answer. Now, here, one more thing before we go. When God speaks to you and gives you wisdom, I've gone over this with you many times before, but I always like to repeat it because it is so important that we learn it. When God speaks to you to give you a plan, to give you wisdom, to give you something for down the road, very often... It is at a time that is not convenient. I know he plans that. You're driving and you're in a hurry. In fact, you're late. Right? <laughs> you're sleeping, sound asleep. 2.30 in the morning and you wake up and God speaks to you in a half groggy state. Oh man, that is good. That will take care of that. All right, I'll write that down in the morning. <laughs> nope, it'll be gone. You'll be saying, what, what was that? I know. Oh, that was so good. I know it was good. I just can't remember what it was. When God speaks wisdom to you, it will be at an inopportune time. There'll be people around you. You'll have to excuse yourself. You will have to get yourself out of an activity that you are doing. For me, he's done it all kinds of times. I'm in the middle of planing a bunch of boards, getting things ready for a big bunk bed order. And in the middle of that, I have received an entire series for down the road. So what should I do? Oh, I'll get that. All right, well, as soon as I get done this, I'll... Nope, I got to stop planing. I know it. I got to stop planing, turn the planer off, going over there, and write down everything he gave me. And then I can go back and plane. Once I got it written down, I can go back and meditate on it later on. Or I can meditate on it while I'm going. But I know better. Don't, don't let it go. Keep stuff by your bed. Keep a recorder. I mean, most of your phones have record, recording capability. If you're driving on down the road and God gives you something, pull that little recorder out. Record it. Get it down somehow. Make sure you keep a book handy that you can write in. You need to plan on the fact that you will receive wisdom. So you need to be ready for it. There should never be a time that you cannot receive the wisdom of God. Now, if you want to know a couple of tricks that I do for this, one is... Um, there's a, there's a number of different, because I, I like gadgets, and I like technology. Oh, I love the both together. But there is one in particular that I just thoroughly enjoy, because it just, most of the time, I have my phone with me. Not always, but, you know, about 90% of the day, my phone is with me. On my phone is a little app called Evernote. Anybody ever know what that Evernote is? Evernote is wonderful. Evernote is an online storage of notes. And all I have to do is hit the one button on my phone, and I am in Evernote. And I can either hit a button and record a thought to hear it later, or I can type it out. But no matter where I am, whether my phone is with me, if I just have the computer, my computer can access my Evernote fo folder. My iPad can access my Evernote folder. My phone can access it. I can get it from anywhere. I can go on somebody else's computer and see what was in my Evernote folder. 
It's a wonderful little tool. And I don't know how many notes you can make. It's free. It's free service. I know you can buy service, but it's free, and I haven't filled up enough notes yet to um, merit buying anything. I am listening to somebody in the, oh, this, you know the quotes you get in your bulletin? The one you have in there right now? Anybody read that? Yes. I got from listening to somebody this week. I was listening to a John Maxwell tape, and he said that. I said, oh, that's good. That's going to go in the bulletin. And so I've stopped what I'm doing, and I type it into Evernote. And then when I get on to doing the bulletin, I pull down Evernote, I copy and paste it and put it right into your bulletin. And there we go. A whole lot of your uh, quotes that you get in the, in the bulletin come from things that I've heard. Said, oh, that's a good little quote there. We'll put that right in there, put in there who did it. You've got to be ready to receive wisdom. When it comes, you need to write it down, you need to act on it. And then you need to, uh, I mean, put, store it away somewhere, and then you need to put yourself to, to do it. Get yourself to do it. Because some of them aren't going to make sense, some of them are going to make good sense, and some of them you're going to say, oh, this is going to be hard to do. But you need to do it, because it'll solve your problem. There's a whole lot more we can get into that, but hopefully that's enough to get you to chew on this for a little while. The number one thing you should be praying for is wisdom. And there's not a single time that praying for wisdom takes more than one or two sentences. That won't even take you a minute. You can, like we said before, you can spend the rest of your time giving God's thanks and praising Him and fill up the rest of your five minutes. You can be, have a very effective prayer life and not have to pray very long. Would you all stand up with me? We had a couple of things that uh, Bob wanted prayer for a situation and uh, I've been sniffing a little bit up here. I heard a few, few folks know. I wasn't doing a thing until I came up here to teach. <laughs> I was doing just fine. Came on up here to teach, so we just need to take authority over those sniffles that are trying to come on in there. We don't need to have those kind of things going on, and they, uh, they clearly need to go. So we'll, we'll take authority over that as well. Bob, you wanted some prayer. You are oh, everything that we need. Father God, we just thank you that right now that the life of God is in Bob. The Spirit of God is in him and empowers him. There is nothing he can't do in the name of Jesus. Body, you get in line with the Word of God, you will do what God tells His Spirit to do. Body, you house this Spirit, and you will function and do everything that this Spirit man needs to do. In the name of Jesus, strength comes into you. There is no fatigue. There is no aches and pains. In the name of Jesus, our bodies are healed. The healing power of Jesus is in the, on the inside of us. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that anyone here suffering with these sniffles and these things going on here this morning, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over those. They will not reign. They will not have any work in our bodies. In the name of Jesus, we stand healed. And we give you the praise and the glory for that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. One more thing before we go. We had a couple, we had at least one praise report. Use the microphone so we can hear you. It's on? All right. I just wrote myself a little note because you've been preaching to me. I got out of being stupid and got healed. I finally got my victory. I, uh, I have been having problems with my heart now for years and years and years. 
back from 1992, I had one hot uh, angioplasty and came out of that pretty well. And then I went for years and years and didn't have any more problem with it for a while. When I moved over here, my heart started in again, and I was getting, my heart was getting clogged up again. I was having problems. And so I went to the doctor, Susan came with me, and when the doctor examined me, he didn't even want to do anything. He thought I was too old, and, and I, my heart was so bad that he didn't think it would do any good anyway, and he just was making excuses and saying she could get a defibrillator and that would help her only if her heart stops because my heart was beating very slow and I was having, it was causing problems in other parts of my body. So I, uh, so Susan got a hold of the doctor. She was angry with him because she knew me and she said to him, she's young, she's good. She's, she is, maybe she is old in age, but she's good, she's active, she drives the car, she does everything. And she, and she said, and she needs help, you know? So okay, so he decided he would go again and go in again with another angioplasty. And he was having problems while he was doing angioplasty and had to do some special work. And he told me about it afterward because he was putting in stents. He put in three stents in my heart and one of the stents didn't want to go in. And he was pushing and pushing it in with his hands working on me. Okay, so that was that. And then afterward, I had other problems from that also from bleeding. But anyway, he gave me a treatment for that, and that worked out. Anyway, uh, I, I lost my train of thought now. Uh, I, um, I, uh, I went home. Before I was ready to go home, he told me, you're going to be fine now. You're going to feel good. You're going to be able to do things you couldn't do before. So I went home, and I was not better. I was worse. I was feeling terrible. And I was just praying and trusting, trying to trust God, trying to trust God, but not really accepting my healing. So I finally made up my mind the days when uh, when uh, Evangelist was here, uh, Chris, when Chris was here. And, and he prayed for me. I, he asked me what I wanted. So I said, I want my heart to be healed. In fact, I said, I want a new heart. I said, I need a new one because the, the, the one I have is no good. So uh, he said to me, how old do you want to be? You want to be 30 years old? So I said, okay, I'll take 30 years old. Here I am expecting a birthday in a few days when I was talking to him. I became 88 years old on July, in July. And I said, okay, 
I'll go for it. And I really meant it this time. I said, I'm going to accept it this time. And I, I did. I went home and got into the Word. I, I had gotten a lot of teaching from you, Pastor. <laughs> I got into the Word and start reading it and writing it, writing words. I have my Bible with me full of scriptures on pieces of paper in there, and it's in my Bible. And I get up and read it every morning. Every morning I read those scriptures. I must have, I don't know how many, I lost count of how many is in there. All prayer scriptures. And they helped me. I, I remember, I, I first started with, Thou will keep him in perfect peace of mind to stay on thee. And also, uh, there was another one. Uh, himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Right, those two. And then I, I went into that, and I would, uh, anytime I was having a problem, I'd quote those scriptures at the devil and tell him, I am healed by Jesus Christ, and you get out of my life. And that's what I did. And then I, uh, I just want to say now, Thursday, I went to the doctor. I was supposed to make this testimony a long time ago and held off and didn't say it. But this time I was determined to do it. <laughs> I, uh, I went to the doctor Thursday. I was feeling wonderful. The Lord really touched me, and I knew it. And I, uh, I went to the doctor, and he came in the office, and he said to me, how are you? I said, oh, I'm feeling fine. He said, you're feeling fine? He couldn't believe it because those doctors believed I was going to die. They didn't believe I was going to live. They were, they were expecting me. In fact, they wanted to put a defibrillator in my heart. In, in my chest, in case my heart would stop, they thought it was going to stop. So there I was. And I said to him, I'm feeling fine. You're feeling fine? He kept saying, asking me that several times. Susan was right there. She heard it all. <laughs> and, he, and he said to me, okay, let me examine you. So he examined me. Check my heart. And after he checked my heart, he said, while he was checking my heart, he said to me, it's all nice and clear. He said, it's nice and clear in there. I said, he said, you are 100% better, he said to me. I know he wasn't believing it. He thought that his pills were doing it, but his pills were not doing it. <laughs> I know the Lord did it. <laughs> Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up. Trust in him. Take his word. Even though you feel that, like you're still sick, even though you feel things coming on you, when you feel like the devil is trying to put it right back there, stick with the word. Stay with the word. And you, he will bring you right through it. And I'm there right now to thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you. You want to add to that? Just thanking the Lord for the job. It's been a challenge, but <laughs> for a new job, but it's just great to be here.
Yeah. Temporary position, it might turn into a permanent one before. Ah, expanding you. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's nice to see Lee here today. She gave us a call last night at the house and said she was coming over here to church. She's back up uh, from Jersey. So it's been a little while since you've been up here. Yeah. Could I ask for prayer for sure. Mm. Okay. Wow. Well, I would say so, yeah. That's a long time. During the um, years while he was in remission on all that, what was he doing? Was he feeding on the Word? Okay. So he's proclaiming it, but is he still studying it? Okay, I would find that out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always good to proclaim. A lot of people proclaim what God has done for them, but not a whole lot of people maintain. And you have to do that maintaining, um, especially in a situation like that. I know the church he goes to does not encourage him in that, that belief. They're not, they're not against God healing people, but they don't believe. Yeah. So I know he's not getting that on there, so I'm just wondering what kind of things he's doing on his own to try and supplement that. Because you need to feed on it. Because the devil, well, he undermines us by getting thoughts in that we don't have the word to combat for. And then that's, uh, that's the number one thing he wants to try and do. So I would be curious about that. I told you in the bulletin, we would let you know, if you have not been here for our Hallelujah Night, it comes up in about a week and a half, on a Wednesday night this year. And we're going to be over at High Point. We have laser tag, if you want to do laser tag. We have volleyball. If you want to do volleyball, you don't have to. We have a game room if you want to do the game room, or you can just sit in the um, fellowship room and eat. <laughs> so we have things for all, all folks to be able to do. So you can do a little bit of all. You can go in there and eat some and then go in there and play and, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, but it's a fun night. It gives you another place to go on Halloween instead of sitting at home and ignoring the door if you don't want to be uh, participating in that. So that's why we do it 6.30 to 8.30. We're going to be up at High Point. There's no cost involved. We just ask you to bring some of the uh, bite-sized candy. We're going to give them away to the kids at the end. And uh, we're looking for snack food, you know, things like nachos, junk, junk stuff, stuff that has absolutely no benefit at all. We're looking for, for chili. We're looking for uh, the, the, uh, that uh, queso sauce. and uh, Oh, man, that's it. Uh, you know, hot dogs, little mini hot dogs or big hot dogs. We don't care. Just, you know, stuff. Just stuff, just food. So that's kind of stuff. You bring them on out, have that. Uh, we have people come out with crock pots of chili and, and homemade sauces. And uh, I tell you what, it's, it's fun. So come on out for that. Uh, if you'd like something in particular, bring it along. If you want to make it, make it. If you want to buy it, buy it. But, you know, bring out some stuff. We eat just whatever we, we have out there. It's a fun night. It goes on from 6.30 to 8.30. Get you home in time to get the kids in bed for school the next day. Uh, whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids, you are welcome to come. And that will go on, on on that one. Ladies have their brunch on Saturday. That will be coming up Wednesday night. We're going to be here continuing the series on 1 Timothy. Um, we'll be up in chapter 2. We are having some issues with the sermon player. They went and 